Awesome. Everybody, welcome back to another episode of It Is What It Is podcast. I'm your host, Cody Kelly. Look, connect with me on all social media platforms. I'm super excited about this episode, another rendition of Politics Today, where we really discuss the just ongoing just uh, political needs and just things that are just relevant to today's life. You know, <laughs> I'm excited I have back with me uh, attorney, just amazing professional, just amazing person, my friend, Amanda Makata Perkins. She is back with us. I'm waiting for my other guest, Eugene Craig. He will be on shortly, and Zoe Kador will be joining us shortly. But Amanda, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Um, yeah, so you guys are stuck with me right now. Um, but it's great to be here. It's great to be back on the podcast with you, Cody. Thank you for the invite. Thank you. Thank you for accepting. Thank you for remembering. It's like it's been the day from like Hades. Everybody has like forgotten. I've sent emails. I'm an about. I'm an attorney. I have stuff written down. I can't. <laughs> I can't rely on my memory. That's what that's why Google Calendar is made available for us. Look, I want to get into it. So we've just ended two weeks, right, of Republic, uh, Democratic and Republican conventions. We've ended the picking of a vice presidential candidate. We've ended we've basically entered almost into, I would say, the second phase of kind of George Floyd leading into Jacob Blake. Right. Which is sad and tragic. Uh, But let's start at the Democratic National Convention. So, Washington, my honest opinion, um, you know, it was tailor-made for TV. I enjoyed President Obama. I thought he was fantastic. I also enjoyed Michelle. Michelle always does a fantastic job. First Lady Obama is spectacular. And I enjoyed Vice President Hopeful Harris, right? Like, I thought Kamala Harris was dynamic. But was it enough? Uh, when the ratings came out, they said like it didn't really affect the poll ratings either way. It wasn't a plus or minus. It was just kind of like preaching to the choir. So I wanted to start there and really get your thoughts on it. What were your thoughts on the Democratic National Convention? I just like to start off by saying I'm into morals and not politics. And I take that quote from Charles Sumner, who was a politician himself. But he was like, I I can't stand politics. I'm about morals and people. Um, you know, I think um, when I when I watched, I watched clips. I watched clips of the DNC and the RNC. I could not bring myself to sit down for hours on end watching all of those videos. Um, but you know, and I watched for the major players, you know, in their speeches too. You're, you're dead on. Like Michelle Ob- uh, Michelle Obama is always a um, she's an amazing orator. She's just fantastic, and um, and I think she was just speaking to a lot of people. Um, but there's nothing, I, I don't think I heard anything in particular um, that was going to sway anything for me. I think um, I think everybody's kind of set right now in mm. their own political camps at the moment. I think really what's going to change the tide for folks will be when they start hearing the debates, when people start tuning in to what these, um, you know, what Kamala has to say what what Pence has to say what um, Biden and and Trump will be saying because these will be questions that people actually have because right now what's happening is that we're being spoken at like people are talking at us right and there are a lot of questions and concerns on people's minds but um but they're not taking these general questions from us so at this point I think what you said is spot on it's just been an um, a television spectacle um, mm-hmm. and um, and so I don't think it's going to change anything. And then again, too, 
mind you, it's not, it's not the normal times, right? So we're not tuning in by television. People are still, you know, topsy-turvy in their world. So I, I'm not really sure that most folks were looking at the DNC holistically. I think a lot of people were tuning into clips. Awesome. Awesome. That I think you said it is it's it was like a, a tuning in uh, into clips, really not focused on it. I always said it was kind of like a rerun of Friends. Like you kind of already know what's going to happen. And it just kind of transpired that way. I, I thought that the most prolific or to me, the most standout speaker was John Kasich. I think getting a Republican, a former governor right to speak on behalf of a Democratic uh, nominee, I thought was strategic. Uh, I thought he kind of ensured if there was an attempt to kind of pull from the right, right? Kind of that like, hey, look, you're not going to lose your identity by, you know, voting for uh, Biden and Harris. Uh, but for the most part, I just was unimpressed. I always say any convention is kind of like a church convention. First night is the musical. That's where all, you know, the cool speakers and everything. The second night is probably the most impactful. And then which is when, you know, Kamala Harris spoke. And then the third night is when, you know, the uh, uh, the presenter, the pastor is going to speak. And it's usually kind of not as dynamic for whatever reason. And I, I think it's not a shot at Joe. It's just that his speech, as it was heartfelt, did it drive. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, and I love, I personally think uh, Vice President Biden is a good person. Right, like in my heart of hearts, I think he's a good person. He's done some things in his policies that I have not agreed with. Uh, mm -hmm. But I think in my heart of hearts, Biden is a good person. But mm -hmm. when I look at it and I really listen, I don't know. And, I, man, I think you're hitting it on. Um, I don't really know if Biden's up for a debate, right? So, like, switch ties. Switch to the Republican National Convention, which was total propaganda, total garbage. I felt so embarrassed listening to Herschel Walker uh, and the congressman from Georgia, I can't even think of his name right now, you know, because it was just so like disingenuous. I'm like, if you felt this way about the Democratic Party, why don't you just switch parties? And he did it. Mm -hmm. He still is a registered Democrat, is a congressperson. So mm -hmm. I, I just felt like it was just disingenuous all across the board. However, when, when Trump got up there, it was like it turned into like it was terrible, but like he's terribly good. If you could do that, right? Like he's so evil, but yet he's good at it. Right. Like, and like, I was just like, oh my God, like, I don't think Biden is going to be ready for this. Right. Like I was just imagining how that debate was going to go. So I wanted to go there. What were your thoughts on the RNC? Um, I, I actually had the opposite reaction. I thought the RNC was definitely, you know, I'm trying to think of the best way to put this. I thought that was actually made for TV. Like okay. I thought, that was made to garner, just to captivate your attention because it was absolutely terrible. It was like bad TV that was captivating. And, and so I, um, I watched some of the clips and I think my mouth was ajar most of the time um, because of the, just the fundamental lies, the baseless mm -hmm. claims, the um, hysterics and the fear incitement. Um, there was a lot going on. So whereas, you know, watching the DNC, I'm like, you know what, so long as you don't, you don't screw up, right. I think you're going to be fine. Um, and the, and the Republicans, I thought it was a complete circus. It was, it was such a circus. The one speech that I watched multiple times from the RNC was Kimberly Guilfoyle. Gotcha. 
I was so shocked because I had never seen anything like that before. And I think a lot of people, and, and one thing I want to say too, before I forget this, you called Trump good, so bad he's good. Let's or not he... call him good or so <laughs> evil he's good. Let's just, he's effective at what he does. Um, yeah. So, but you know, with Kimberly Guilfoyle, I was so unbelievably shocked with her rhetoric with right. her language choice and the fact that she was screaming at everybody in front of an empty room. <laughs> and, um, and, and, and it was so weird. I, I'm just gonna make this comment because I'm Puerto Rican, she's Puerto Rican, that she called herself a first generation American. Yeah. And she was like, my mother's from Puerto Rico and her father, I think is um, Irish or something like that. And I was like, don't you know that Puerto Ricans are American? What are you talking about? I was so, I was absolutely shocked. Um, Trump's speech was that, you know, it was it it was what it was. Right. Um, I don't think that he's gone off script in any way. I think he was very true to form. Um, but what is shocking to me is just the uh, the outpouring of lies. Like they just lie. I think there was some um, statistic that like every forty five seconds of Trump's speech, every fifty seconds, he he dropped a lie. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I was like, how is it possible that you can um, support a person that is a prolific liar like this? Like he is just an incessant liar. Um, and what I did, I had to go and do some some research on people that, you know, they will cement in their beliefs, regardless if someone is lying, because there is this, this cognitive dissonance that you experience, right, where the thing that you're doing is actually opposed to what you're thinking. So you have to either change what you're doing or change what you're thinking. And in order for it to make sense, people will change what they're thinking. They'll justify his lies in order to support the fact that they'll continue to vote for him. Mm. It's a very interesting uh, psychological construct. So there's one thing, but here's the thing that really set me back on my heels. When Pence made it absolutely and abundantly clear that the RNC, Republicans in general, stand for white America. Yeah. And this, he made one statement that just cemented that for me. Right. When he said, America, we're going to, you know, we Americans are going to stand next to, you know, and support our people. We're going to stand next to African-Americans and so on. And I was like, whoa, pause. Did you just say we Americans are going to stand next to African-Americans? Does that mean that you're talking to white America? Yeah. And you're othering black Americans. I was yeah. so unbelievably shocked that he said that but at the same time i said you're you're saying exactly what i thought you believed mm -hmm. and um that that actually stuck to stuck out to me more than anything else i want to talk about one of those lies uh yeah pence was all over pence, pence basically kind of george wallace his whole speech uh i thought it was a 1960 three, you know dixie crack convention like it was just it was just wild the stuff he was talking about mob rule but the thing that the direct quote, I think, that kind of set me internally on fire. Trump said, I did more for Black people in three years than Biden did in 47, right? And he, it, it's this, this braggadocious attempt. And I get it. Look, I, I commend the First Step Act. However, it was not championed by him, but he did sign off on it. I, champion, I, I totally understand it. I totally understand the potential, and I do mean potential of Opportunity Zones, because that has to be kind of analyze i do understand that under his presidency even though it is a spinoff really of obama's 
undergoings, right? And things that he laid as far as economic infrastructure, black unemployment did drop to an historic low. But I think it is disingenuous to really uh, say that he has done more. What are your thoughts on that? I think it looks like we have somebody. Oh. Yep. Eugene, welcome hey, to the show, hey. man. Hey. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Live from the car. <laughs> Live in the car. Yeah, I appreciate you jumping in. Eugene, if you could just introduce yourself and then I'll I'll just uh restate what I asked Amanda and then pitch it to you. Uh no problem, no problem. Gene Craig, uh former vice chair of Maryland Republican Party, uh chairman of Future Now Pack, Future is Now Pack, and the CEO of X Factor Media Inc. And you know, happy to be here. So <laughs> thanks, man. I appreciate you jumping on. I appreciate you accepting the invite. i I just asked no Amanda this. I want to hear from you and then I want to, you know, throw it back to Amanda. Trump stated in this speech, in his RNC acceptance speech, he's done more for Black America in three years than Biden did for 47. What are your thoughts on it? Are we allowed to cuss on this show? Well, I mean, it is what it is. but it, uh, yeah, he's, 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 he's fucking out of his mind. <laughs> Explain he's that. He's fucking out of his mind. Uh, I mean, look. I mean, look, minimally, Biden and, and his time as a U.S. senator has reaffirmed the Civil Rights Act at least twice, Voting Rights Act at least twice. Right. Um, you know, supported multiple judges to the federal bench, uh, supported multiple black appointees on both sides of the aisle. Um, you know, development you know, of, of you know, Minority Business Development Corporation. I mean, there, there's, there's, I mean, that track record is long. What has Trump done? Hurt minority business, hurt black businesses. Um, you know, he fought for a watered down version of the first step back we can have that entire conversation um i mean his racism knows no bounds um i mean literally you know one black one one top level black appointee um you know cabinet level black appointee um you know uh you know zero support for black candidates you know real support for black candidates um i mean the the i mean trump's racism literally knows no bounds so so if i if i if i Think he's breaking Hell, out beyond a mile. I mean, Joe Biden literally. I mean, I mean, uh, I mean, we can. We, I mean, to, to take it a step deeper, right? Joe Biden literally took the back seat to the first black president and did everything he possibly could to calm white folk that were, you know, riled up and outraged at the first black president. Right. You know, that's that's the legacy of Joe Biden. Yeah, I, I I like, look, I, I said this, I, you know, of course we have to always look at the crime bill. I always want to bring that out. Okay, everybody gets one. But, but the thing, let me tell you, that the thing with the crime bill is this, right? First yeah. of all, the, other, the thing with the crime bill is this, um, it included the violence against, the violence against Women's Act. But the other part about the crime bill is that it was supported by the CBC. Right. And it wasn't necessarily a racialized thing. I mean, look, you know, you know how laws are written, how they're applied does matter. But, you know, it was supported by the CBC and it was a relic of its time. You know, one of the things that I always argue is that you can't look at, you know, a, a, a 1994 issue in a 2020 lens. It's just not fair and it's disingenuous. I mean, hell, we can't even look at 2010 issues in a 2020 lens. I mean, where we are on the issue of criminal justice reform is dramatically far than where we were when Trayvon Martin got shot. It's true. I mean, I mean, it, it, it's light years ahead, and that was only you know seven, eight years ago. So, 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 and so when I say when I hear people you know try to bring up you know the, the 1994 crime bill or or Kamala's time as a DA or an AG, 
you know, look, what, the, what became mainstream thought was just dramatically different now than what it was then. And that has... I think, I think it's breaking up. ...to be recognized yeah. and acknowledged. You know, what? whether he's a racist, when literally Charles Rangel and Bobby Rush when, when, when half the season, oh, can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now. I can hear you now. Can you hear me? Uh, yeah, I can hear you now. Can so, you hear me? Audio only might be better. Um, okay. The, the thing is this. Yeah, I can hear you. It's good. It's good. Um, the thing is this. You know, when when the CBC, the Congressional Black Caucus, founding members of the CBC support the 1994 crime bill, that takes the racist element out of it. It just does. I mean, these are people whose districts were being affected by violent crime. And they did, and they did their best as a federal government at the time with the you know, limited knowledge that they had, you know, at the time on what to do. Now, looking back, you know, 26 years later, you know, we're in a position to do a lot better and maybe correct some of the wrongs that were that were that were done with that bill. But my argument is always this: you can't look at the 94 crime bill or Kamala's time as a DA or AG and, and sit back and, and try to and try to examine it through a 2020 view, a 2020 lens. That is dramatically different than what it was in, in 2006 or 2010 or 2015 and 14. I mean, it, it's just it's just the truth. I mean, you know, it, it's just the truth. And so, um, you know, it's it's I think it's extremely disingenuous, especially when you have in, in 20, especially when you have in 2016, 2017, 2018, 2019, an attorney general that says, hey, racism doesn't exist. Racism and policing doesn't exist. We have an attorney general in Jeff Sessions whose first thing was to come in and try to cancel consent decrees with police departments that were shown to exhibit systematic racism right. and abuses. Um, when, you know, I mean, look, it's great. Look, Gerard Smith is a brother to me. And I say mm -hmm. that as a personal friend, a brother to me. But I do think for this White House to roll out and run around and say that, you know, the Todd to tell the First Step Act as a panacea for all things black is complete bullshit. Because yeah. first and foremost, it was weaker than the is weaker than the Goodlatte bill. It was weaker than the bill that Kamala and Corey put and Corey put together. It was weaker than every other bill that was on the, that, that was presented. I mean, they literally weakened it to appease Tom Cotton and Ted Cruz who were holding it up. Hmm. I mean, I mean, and the thing is, it's, you know, folk, I mean, we can have, I'm, I'm always ready to have the conversation because I was there. I know the facts. I watch, I watch liberal conservative partners come together and try to push a, a, a very reformative bill. I watch folk like Freedom Works and R Street throw their weight behind it. Heritage threw their weight behind a real bill bill. I mean, you can't tell me, you can't tell me that, hey, I mean, look, 6,000 people, 7,000 people got to come home. That's great. They're home with their loved ones. Right. But we could have went further and we should have went further. No, I, I believe I, I thought it was, you know, kind of like a, a piecemeal offering uh, to just do it. Right. Uh, I appreciate anything that's been done. But I think that uh, obviously it was the lesser of the two evils from the Republicans who basically didn't want to do anything. And then now you have an attorney yeah. general Barr who doesn't even believe and has said we have to be careful even to say that there is systemic racism in the United States, which I totally discount, right? Like that's totally false, right? <laughs> like, but that's just kind of the agenda. Do you think, and do you think, and then Amanda, I want to get your thoughts on this. Uh, Eugene, you mentioned, you said we're judging past uh, policy from a current lens, right? We have what is called recency bias. Do you think it's unfair 
to look on hindsight and to um, uh, pick apart somebody's political career like Biden? I'll start with you, Amanda. So um, a couple things I, I just want to highlight on Eugene's um, comments, and then I will get to your point, because this is also part of Eugene's comments. Um, in terms of the First Step Act, I think Tom Cotton still didn't even vote for it when it came up for a vote. Um, he still voted against it. So that just is very hypo- just hypocritical to me. Um, so I think that Trump is a um, he's just a caricature of a leader when it comes to um issues in the black community and um, and definitely for poor people at large and working class people at large. Um, I think he is, he has a set agenda on what he's trying to get through, which will be um, lining the pockets of corporations and at, and throwing crumbs um, to the black community, such as doing this, you know, signing the first step act, but then also, um, you know, making sure that there was funding for the HBCU, which I believe Congress had set aside money anyway. Right. Um, for HBCU. So it's just, it's just really, um, I think, intellectually dishonest when he takes credit for things that have already been kind of um, forged ahead anyway. Um, in terms of what, looking at people's political career, I disagree. I think you need to look holistically at people. I think you need to look at them because you don't know where they stand unless you know where they came from. Right. You don't understand where they're going um, unless you know where they came from. And so I do think we should look at Biden's um, background when it comes to, you know, uh, policies that are affecting black people. Um, So I think the 94 crime bill definitely does matter. We need to know what he's done in the past and see what he's talking about now. We do need to be held accountable for the things that we've um, voted for in the past, where we stood in the past and then reconcile with today and see what changes need to happen. It is no mistake that America has had a very, um, very tense relationship with black Americans and policing in this country. It has been by design and it has always been by design from the institution of the slave patrol up until now. And so I think anytime we start throwing out legislation that is going to incarcerate more black people or it's going to affect negatively black and brown people when it comes to law enforcement, we need to do our homework and see how that's going to affect them long-term. I understand that back in 94, there was a lot of crime written areas, but we need to understand why that was too. And, um, and another thing is you're absolutely right. What happened in 94 is different than what's going on in 2010. It's also different than what was going on in 2016. And I think that um, you know the rhetoric has changed a lot and I think that's absolutely good. And so I think when politicians or leaders are able to say, you know what, that was a mistake back then and I was going with general consensus or whatever, but today it needs to be X, Y, and Z. Today we need to look at a different way to reform the way we police people and the way that we keep um, black and brown people safe in this country. It needs to change. I'm much more respectful of that than to say, I just dismiss what you've done in the background. You know, that, that to me is disingenuous and that's not being accountable. So, I mean, look, I, same thing with Obama. Obama didn't support gay marriage initially. But he changed his mind and then came to support gay marriage um, and in time, right? And reconciled with that. And I think that's why more people had respect 
for him and his change because he was realizing you need to come to terms with what people are talking about and what people are demanding. So I don't think anything's wrong with looking at a person's past or looking at their past policies. I think we need to, we have to take a look back because if we don't know where we've been, we have no idea how to move forward and do it better going forward. Um, And so, you know, what Kamala has done in terms of her prosecution record, you know, she, um, you know, I think people, we need to have these conversations. I think it's the same thing that like we, we, you know, when white America gets up in arms, when we talk about the vestiges of slavery and why, you know, racism still exists and those kinds of conversations, because it makes them uncomfortable and it makes them feel like, oh, well, I would, that's on the wrong side. I had nothing to do with that. Or that was back then. Talk about today. We are doing ourselves a disservice. Now, I'm not saying that you should litigate and execute a person for their past. You you, you judge them on their growth and what they're representing today. Um, so that's what I would just say about that. I think, um, you know, listen, where Biden stands today when we're talking about criminal reform, I, I truly think that in this country, I think it's obviously better than where he stood before. And the same with Kamala. I think that what they're talking about now mimics where people are in America today. Um, but I truly think that we need to do a reckoning. We need to have a reckoning when it comes to our law enforcement and the ways that we look at law enforcement in this country. Um, I think inherently there's so much bias in the construction of our um, policing efforts in this country that there is no putting bandages over the things that we're doing. Like there are fundamental structures from like, we can talk about qualified immunity if we if we want to, um, but even just the people, the training that police officers are getting, right? And how they're trained to look at black and brown bodies is a problem. Um, and then the funding, we militarize our police. We are one of the only um, developed countries to do that. And so um, I think that there just needs to be a more honest conversation about where we stand when it comes to policing law enforcement in this country and as it relates to black and brown people. And I don't think anything is wrong with dissecting where we've come from to know exactly where we're going. Awesome. Eugene, uh, what does that reconciliation or that reckoning looks like? Like what is from either side, from the Republicans or the Democrats? For me, for me, for me, it looks like sheer public safety investment, okay. which is a, which is a much more uh, kinder way to say to fund the police. Right. Um, um, yeah, I believe in sheer public safety investments. Um, because the thing is this, right? You look at a city like Baltimore, right, which is struck, which is struggling structurally, and I mean like this, yeah. I mean, I mean, hey, basic things like you know, your roads are messed up, and and and. And, you know, you're having water main breaks everywhere and, you know, street lights are bad. I mean, I mean, structural things that have major impact on people's lives. Are we not even talking about air conditioners and heating and classrooms, right? We're talking about like level one basic stuff. But, you know, you have real fundamental issues, but yet your police budget is bloated and you're not seeing any time and, and automatically rises year over year. And you see no actual result for the dollars spent, right? I mean, you can't tell me 300 murders and 300 murders out, and we give you an extra, you know, your budget's been pretty much doubled over a 10-year time span, and you're not seeing the results for the extra dollars being spent. Um, whereas, whereas, 
those dollars that were thrown at that budget probably could have been put in places that created opportunities that actually prevent crime. I mean, you don't see, I mean, you don't see violent, you know, violent crime is, will always exist, but it's dramatically lower in places where you have a 700 credit score um, rather than a 400 credit score, right? Um, you know, where, where there's some, uh, you know, level of, of statehood and, 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 and skin the game to, you know, for a positive outcome in a neighborhood um, or positive development in a neighborhood. And that's not, and I'm not saying that, hey, you need to come and, and, and gentrification. I do believe in economic development, but I believe it should be economic development by the people in the particular area and that capital should be provided for that particular area for the folk that live there to actually, you know, produce, produce economic, economic opportunities. Um, but I believe in public share, I mean, share public safety investments. And, um, and I do think that, hey, you know, I mean, I'm even of the, I'm even of the likeness of, hey, maybe you don't even have to cut the police budget. Just don't raise it. And those automatic raises that you're going to throw towards the police budget, put it in other places that will actually help prevent crime. I mean, most, most, most petty crime, most petty crime, your thefts, your break-ins, those are economic issues. More likely, those are, you know, people aren't breaking in for the shits and giggles of it. They're breaking in because, okay, I need to steal something. Maybe I'll sell and get a couple dollars off of it. It's an economic issue. So you do with the economic aspect of it, you can do with a whole lot of the other underlying issues. Awesome, awesome. Last question. I would really appreciate my guest. I want to thank you again. No Amanda problem. No problem. Eugene. You guys have been fantastic. And, and listen, we gotta do the, We gotta do this again. We gotta do this again. <laughs> I'm gonna have to figure figure something out here. I'll pull it over for you. <laughs> I will. If I can get you guys and, and Attorney Perkins and, and my man uh, Malik, who texted me, he's like, oh, yeah, I forgot I double booked with Roller Martin. Today. Yeah, he, he's on like, rolling right now, yeah. I was roller, texting him. Roller, I was like, yeah, roller, skip to me. Roller, 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 roller's over there ripping the manure. We got to get you plugged into rolling. <laughs> I'm happy. Let Roller know. I'm ready. I, I, <laughs> I feel like giving him heat. So right, Let's, talk, let's talk offline. Go ahead. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, unfortunately, we have seen – yet another example of police brutality. We think of what happened in New York. Uh, we can even go back to last week with Kenosha, Wisconsin, which is ironically, it's only an hour and a half from Chicago. Yeah. Um, and we think of Jacob Blake. Is... Oh, I, hold on. I think this this service guy thinks, oh, whoa, whoa, buddy. Hold on. Oh, my God. Holy <laughs> shit. Can y'all see that? What yeah, is that? Uh, he must think. Oh, he must think I'm a down. I'm a down driver. Oh, I just pulled over. The, he literally like just backed up and then like pulled behind. That's whatever. I'll just let him. It's a, keep going. Keep going. Okay. Keep going. Okay. I'll start, I'll so start long as it's not the police, because right, right. That's all I was thinking. Like we're gonna stay out here until you get home safe. Like, Dude, that's all I was thinking. Um, and man, I'll start with you. Is there, is there any real hope? Right. Like, should people of color feel scared uh, or is this just, you know, just one another example of a bad apple in a, in a bag of good apples, according to the right? You know, I, I absolutely hate that argument. Um, there are just a few bad apples. There are just a few bad cops. No, this is this is a structure. This is fundamentally designed that way. OK, this is not this is not just a few bad apples, because, frankly, if the system was constructed the way it was supposed to and police were supposed to serve and protect, we wouldn't have so many instances of this. And like I said, the issues that black and brown folks 
have been facing, especially Black Americans have been facing with the police has happened since the dawn of this country. This is not an accident by any means. So I think that we need to be, we need to have honest conversations. I don't understand why we say that crap. You know, if you had a few bad apples at your company, you're going to just start looking at your entire hiring program and going, what is going on here? We're going to need to do something else. We need to just start anew. We need to start fresh and figure out what the heck is going on. So no, this is not just a few bad apples. Um, listen, I have, um, I read a lot. <laughs> and mm -hmm. I realize that there is actually, I forget this guy's name, but there is this man who was like highly sought after to train um, police officers all around the country. And his method was essentially, I'm paraphrasing, shoot sure. first, ask questions later. Everybody's a threat. That is exactly how he was training police officers. Okay. And there were some districts that were completely appalled by this and were outraged and, and he could not come there anymore. However, he actually lobbied. I wish I remembered this man's name. Mm -hmm. Cannot think of this man's name. But anyway, he actually was able to lobby for some of the police unions and say, you know what, fine, you don't have to pay me to come. Just give your officers the option to come see me. And so police officers still went to see this guy and he travels all across the country. I'm going to have to get you this information so you can see it afterwards. But anyway, what am I saying to you? This is a fundamental issue. These people are being trained to look at black folks as threats. Like you are inherently threatened. That was by design. The fact that four officers were following Jacob Blake around his car with guns drawn. I think everybody had their gun drawn in that in that clip, right? right. And one officer, you were pulling his shirt and you shot, shoot this man in the back seven times. And I just, as a as a as an attorney, try to think in my brain. How is it possible? Like, what could he have possibly done to warrant getting shot in close, in like point blank range seven times in his back? And there are theories going around about, you know, whether or not he actually threatened them with a knife. They said mm -hmm. he was going to grab a knife. And I'm still thinking to myself, well, did he have a knife? Did he wield the knife towards you? Like, I'm trying to understand what would, what would warrant that. So um, I think that was by design. I, mm. I do not know what happened in New York. I swear I had to, I had, when I heard, I was like, I can't look that up right now because it's too much. It, to me, it is traumatizing. I think, I think to answer your question, a lot of people are, are suffering trauma, learning constantly over and over what's going on from Ahmaud Aubrey, Breonna Taylor, who got just massacred in her own home, um, George Floyd, Jacob Blake, and, and, whatever has happened in, in New York, I couldn't even take it. Um, is there hope? I am definitely not a pessimist, although I joke about it sometimes. I'm not a pessimist. I truly think that there is always hope. I think that if anything, you know, countless leaders in our community have taught us to consistently have hope because without hope, we would have never gotten this far today. We wouldn't right. be able to have this platform and talk about it today. So absolutely, there is hope. And John Lewis, the late, great John Lewis, told us to always have hope. I think one of the last uh, biographies written about him um, was just that that there is hope. And so um, we have to constantly fight about these issues and talk about these issues and call them out and not be afraid to call them out. Like, why are we afraid to say that this is a structural issue? There are just a few bad apples. That to me is placating to 
what's going on and not giving ourselves uh, a voice or any reason. And I noticed somebody said in your comments that we really need to get out to vote for real, but mm -hmm. like for real, for real, we need to get out and vote. And, and, and not just for national elections. I really hope we could do this again and talk about the importance of local elections, right. because that's really where the politics, the policies and, and the daily effects of our lives matter. And we can start talking about how to really reform police and get some of these, these people that should not be there out of there, right? Like one of our comptrollers here in Chicago just got in trouble for fraud, handling mm -hmm. our money in Chicago. Listen, I, mm -mm. That's, that's right there. That's that's the Chicago way. Unfortunately, vote early, vote often. It is uh, this city is something else. Eugene, uh, Republican strategist, right? If uh, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. If Trump wins, let's say November third does not go as planned, and this is a repeat of 2016, and he wins. Um, he invites you to the White House. He says, "Look, I'm not inviting Candace Owens. I'm calling you. I need help." with um, the police structure, with police reform, right? And in the words of uh, Vice Presidential Hopeful Kamala Harris, reimagining public safety. What does that look like? What is the message that you tell him? Um, well, I think first and foremost, before any federal dollars are attached, you need structural reform, right? And what does that reform look like? Eugene, you're breaking up. I, I think I've lost him. Eugene, you're breaking up, my man. Fire! You need to. Yeah, you know, there should be a day you can fire for it. For me here, can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yep, I can hear you now. Okay. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I, I think also. I think that. I think that. You know, it should be. I, I think there needs to be federal law created, right? It should be the thing is this what most people don't understand is that relationships with the police don't necessarily start with you getting, you know, beat up by the cops. It starts with your basic rights violations. It starts with the illegal searches. It starts with the hey, you know, I'm gonna detain you for a half hour for a broken taillight. It starts with the ba the very basic rights violations. And so I think that, you know, the the one thing I would include in any police reform package is that, you know, if you're an officer, which means you have the license to kill, essentially, that, you know, you have the, your first job is to protect people's rights. And if you buy, and, and so I would make, I would, my first part would be making the felony, maybe even a mandatory minimum for basic rights violations. I think you do that, you fix, you, you fix policing overnight. I can't just lie to you about why I pulled you over. I can't just, you know, you know, search your car, you know, um, especially without, you know, supervisor on the scene. I just can't, I mean, I would, I mean, I, everything that I would do would be about around two things, protecting people's rights, because that's where the relationship and how people's perspective of police are formed. It's not, it's not, you know, you know, we all probably at some point in time will have a gun pointed at us, but the real relationship with the police are going to come from, Hey, you know, Hey, I got pulled over and you asked me to get out the car for no reason. You know, you, you tried to search my car for no reason. You know, you, you know, you know, you, you, you felt the need to put me in cuffs and detain me for no reason. You know, it's those basic rights violations. So, I mean, if you deal with the, if you deal with the basic rights violations, you'll be, well, you, the life will get so much easier. I promise you. I can't just walk out and throw you up against the wall and frisk you. 
You know, I you know, I mean, you got to you got you deal with the basic rights violations. Like, there's so much, and then the police unions are going to lie. They're going to push back, but fuck them. You know, um, that's that's my philosophy. And I know people that work for police unions, right. and, and that's not you know, that's my that's my philosophy. But you got to deal with the basic rights violations. You deal with that, you're good to go. Awesome, awesome. Well, look, I appreciate it. Uh, I want to thank you guys again. Eugene, no where can they connect with you? What are you doing? Uh, I think it's underscore Eugene Craig on Twitter. We'll have fun. Awesome. I, I, I believe I believe Twitter is the greatest free app ever created. You know, great. I, I still understand how this shit's free. I say it every day. How's the connect with Eugene on Twitter, man? Attorney Perkins, what are you doing? Where can they connect with you? I am not on Twitter, so you can find me on LinkedIn um, at Amanda R. Mancata Perkins, or you can find me on Facebook um, at A.R. Mancata Perkins. Awesome. Look, connect with these two individuals. They are amazing. Uh, I can vouch for both of them. Just amazing individuals. Great gifts to humanity. Uh, I appreciate you guys one more time. Until next time, guys. Thank you so much. Appreciate it, bro. Thanks. Bye. Bye.